it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this Rivalry Week episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of our most regular and smartest guests, Josh, last name redacted, from the College Football Nerds. In this episode, Josh gets into the advanced analytics that lead him to think that today's game between Ohio State and that team up north will be a close one throughout didn't like that he also discusses the red zone issues that could prevent the buckeyes from blowing out their rivals the different matchups that favor each individual team and much more assuming you are doing the right thing and listening to this podcast early on on your saturday morning there is still plenty of time to watch the cfb nerds preview video for the game to get even more detailed and insightful information so of course we will have that linked in the show notes and in the article version of this episode on land grant holy land So, without further ado, here's my conversation with college football nerd, Josh. All right, Josh, I went through the college football nerds preview for the Ohio State-Michigan game, and what I think is super interesting is is that Daniel kind of starts out the video talking about for the first time in... I mean, probably in the history of of uh, of your channel, this is a game that actually feels like it could be fairly close. And it's one where both teams are having pretty good seasons. And despite the fact that Michigan has been highly ranked in, in recent years coming into the rivalry game, they actually feel like they could challenge Ohio State. So I'm wondering from a to kind of start off, Michigan runs the ball pretty well. 
They have a fairly decent passing game. Um, what has changed for them the most, do you think, f- from some other recent Harbaugh coached teams that actually makes you and, more importantly, your model think that this could be a competitive contest on Saturday afternoon? The interesting thing to me with Michigan is trying to evaluate them both in terms of overall quality and in terms of scaling. And why I talk about that is way back when, in, in the before times, uh, 2018 Michigan comes into the Ohio State game in what is a narrow game and one that our model, I think, actually favored Michigan by a little bit. But something we we talked about at the time extensively was that Don Brown's offense or defensive scheme did not scale. And what I mean by that is they were so dependent on their aggression and man coverage that when they played a team that actually had superior athletes, they often got exposed to a almost hilarious extent, right? I mean, that Ohio State-Michigan game ended 62 to 39. They go to the bowl versus Florida. They lose 41 to 15. And it's not something that was a shock to us. We've been on that train for about five years. uh, And look, it's like 2012 Notre Dame, right? If you get a certain scheme and you're used to being in base and you're used to playing a certain way and like that Michigan team, their ranked teams were uh, Wisconsin, Michigan State and Penn State, uh, none of which were particularly balanced or explosive at that time. Um, At least in my opinion, uh, you know, that Penn State team maybe, but they were a little one dimensional in other ways. It's kind of a complicated uh, look. I, I think it hides things. And this Michigan team, a lot like Ohio State even, have changed defensive coordinators. They've gone to more balanced look. And in many ways, they're a more complete, balanced, better team. And I think it's interesting. There's a lot of focus on Ohio, Ohio State made a defensive coordinator change from Coombs, right, from Ohio State fans. And I don't know that enough attention has been paid to the fact that Michigan made a similar change. I think it's hurt them at certain points this season because they're not you know, they're not so practiced in doing the exact same thing to perfection, but they are a lot more willing to be variable, a lot more willing to play defense in a way that in theory should stop spread offenses. And so you end up with a team that not only, you know, in our model, they're Ohio State is a seven point favorite, but in Vegas, Ohio State is an eight point favorite, which means our model isn't crazy here. Uh, and I think maybe most interestingly, that's all true, despite the fact that Michigan lost to a Michigan State team that was maybe not super talented, but was a more modern offense. Trying to suss out why all that's true, why our model is where it is, where Ohio State is where it is, you know, in the vein of only being favored by eight (laughs) indicates that you're a great team because of where Ohio State is. To me, that's the angle of the game. And you mentioned the fact that, you know, when Michigan is – kind of struggled against Ohio State in recent years. It was mainly because they couldn't match up with Ohio State's offensive firepower. And Ohio State's put up a ton of points in a lot of games over the past few seasons uh, against their rival. And I think in the video, actually, Daniel said that he thought that Ohio State's offense was the best in the country. From a statistical standpoint, how good is this offense compared to the rest of college football this season and perhaps even uh, compared to some of the better offenses of the past five to ten years, the LSUs, the Oklahomas, the Alabamas, um, even some of the other Ohio State teams? How does C.J. Stroud, this complement of wide receivers, Travion Henderson, and of course, obviously, this is less of a statistical impact, but this offensive line, how did they compare to other offenses that come to mind? I think the thing that you have to bear in mind with this particular offense is that it's 
maybe a little more balanced than some of the prior iterations. Uh, with Justin Fields, there were certainly a tremendous amount of explosiveness to that offense, but it was keyed a little bit on the quarterback run when they were operating in a high club. I, and every once in a while I say that and someone's like, well, he didn't run that much. It's like, well, he didn't run that much over the whole course of the season, but when they were playing big teams, yes, he did run that much. He was frequently getting the ball like eight to 15 times on the ground. Uh, but this Ohio State team, you know, in BCF, uh, that's Brian Formo's site, BCF Toys, puts out the FEI ratings. And they have a what's called an efficiency index or an efficiency rating. Um, and your three top three teams are Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, one, two, and three. And I think the ratings are interesting. Ohio State, as of right now, is sitting at a 2.2 rating. Uh, Alabama is two. Number three is Georgia, and it falls all the way to 1.5. So Ohio State has a bit of an edge on, on Alabama in advanced stats and advanced metrics. Uh, and then the gap that Ohio State has on Alabama is almost double the gap. or it's, I'm sorry, it's about half the gap that Alabama has on Georgia and then the gap from Georgia to number four is about the same as the gap from Ohio State to Alabama. But the notable thing is when you get down to you know Old Miss, who's the eighth best team, for example, their rating is 1.14, and it's all kind of a rating off average. So going from eighth to Ohio State, going from Old Miss to Ohio State is essentially a full standard deviation from the mean. Uh, you know, if Ohio State is one tier of offense. Alabama and Ohio State really together are at a second tier. Um, and so that kind of, you know, kind of gives you the, the best indication I can for where they're at as a, uh, as a program. And, you know, when you look, when you talk EPA, EPA stands for estimated points added. Um, it's a calculation that's based off your production at different points in the field, weighting the value of the field. I think that calculation is getting increasingly important because, and I think every Ohio State game fan who watched the Oregon game knows this. Yardage in the middle of the field is not the same as yardage in the red zone. Uh, yes. And your ability to convert yards to points is becoming an extremely important statistic in college football. But when you look at EPA, I mean, Ohio State is first in the country in EPA per pass. They're 32nd in EPA per rush, which is Good. I mean, it's not necessarily tops in the country. Again, I don't think that shocks Ohio State fans to know they have a good run game. They don't necessarily have a dominant. It's not even really a top 25 run game in a lot of advanced stats. Um, but scoring opportunities, 78% um, of the time they get into scoring range. Uh, field position, third in the country. Um, first in the country in early downs, EPA added, meaning like first or second down ability to gain yards third in the country and third and fourth down success rate. So in almost all, in fact, in all offensive statistics, I should probably say outside of your EPA per rush, but you know, points per yard, field position, third down conversion, they're a top 10 unit in every single metric, kind of unique in that regard. Uh, and one thing, you know, one thing I will note, uh, making a comparison there, because the closest analog is Alabama, would be uh, red zone scoring. Um, and one of the things that's really defined teams this season more than any other is the rate at which teams are scoring in the red zone. Ohio State is 12th in the country in that mark, okay? Uh, and then Alabama red zone conversions is 10th. Um, but when you start getting into other things like touchdowns, uh, it's about the same. Those are the things that Ohio State has to watch to improve because uh, touchdown red zone conversion percentage, Alabama seventh, 
Ohio State in touchdown red zone uh, conversion percentage is 30th at about 68%. About one in three times Ohio State gets in the red zone, they don't actually convert it to a touchdown. So in all the like yardage, like ability to convert third downs generally, explosiveness metrics, Ohio State is clearly number one. If you want to know why advanced stats don't have them quite more dominant than, you know, say Alabama or even why Georgia's trailing back there a little bit, it's the fact that those teams convert in the red zone at a much higher clip. They're a little better at converting points to yards. Uh, and to end this long monologue, the last thing I'll note is um, offensive points to draw, uh, per drive, and you're at 4.1 points per drive, which is insane, right? Averaging more than a field goal per drive for Ohio State in non-garbage time. Uh, Alabama's 3.8, uh, Georgia's 3.6. So kind of right all in there. It's an advantage over the other groups. Um, but the one I think maybe most surprising is Georgia, which I don't think people realize – how efficient they are per drive. They just play a slower game, don't get as many possessions. The score is not as high, but they're actually pretty close in most advanced metrics because their per drive stats are fantastic. But that's where Ohio State is. I mean, they're the best. I agree they're the best offense in the country right now, but those are the things that make them, you know, better or the things that keep them from pulling away otherwise. Yeah. Obviously, if Ohio State is going to live up to some of those lofty advanced numbers and even more importantly, improve upon them in terms of scoring in the red zone, they're going to have to negate what I think is the strongest point of at least Michigan's defense. And that's um, their edge rushers, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. What is it about those two and their efficiency to kind of disrupt what the opposing offensives uh, are able to do that can actually make a significant difference for Michigan uh, kind of stopping Ohio State, which they haven't been able to do under uh, Don Brown and in previous years when they've come on with a Jim Harbaugh coach team and thought they had a shot to beat Ohio State? Yeah, the thing about disruption in quote, in the RPO era, which is, I feel like it's getting an overused moniker. It, it's the fact that you have to be able to disrupt timing to a certain extent because secondaries are more or less exposed. Uh, if you're a safety playing against the RPO, you can no longer key on offensive linemen. Um, it used to be that if you saw offensive linemen running downfield and you're a safety or a linebacker, you knew to crash and, you know, zone coverage or even man. Now in the RPO era, you can't because they may be releasing downfield and they may throw it anyway. So if you crash, you can let a slant get behind you for an explosive. Everyone has had to abandon those set of keys that's happened for several years now. And we've been slowly figuring out, and it seems like this year they're really starting to, how you can compensate for the fact that the safeties have to be reactive and not proactive. Everyone in the country hates their safeties. <laughs> Everyone in the country hates their safeties now. Mm-hmm. At least anyone that's playing a defense that can actually stop an RPO because of the way defenses are being taught. Well, what's something you can do if the safeties can't come down and help with run support and they can't really bail and be robbers and pass? Well, you can rush the passer, right? I mean, uh, we talk about Ohio State's number one in EPA per pass. Michigan is 13th in EPA per pass defense. And they're really far and away the best unit uh, that Ohio State's faced. I want to say Michigan State in those metrics was – like in the 60s range, um, really. And look, everybody says they were 130th in total uh, pass yardage defense. And a quick note, we said before the game, we said after the game that, you know, they were 34th in yard per attempt allowed. Michigan State ended at 55th in yard per attempt allowed even after the game. 
that is a bad pass defense from Michigan State with real issues personnel, but they were not the horrific unit that they were made out to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing with the RPO is if you can get pressure, if you can attack mesh points in particular, now the quarterback has, for one thing, faster decision making. It's just like the zone read, right? The zone read was killer until they learned to attack the mesh because it forces the quarterback to hand the ball off or to make a read. And you remember, uh, I think Ohio State fans are going to remember pretty vividly way back in 2015, a certain game where Mr. Ezekiel Elliott didn't get the ball much. Is that, is that one you recall? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately so. Yeah. And, and why did that happen? And we broke that down at the time. It happened because the opposing defense there uh, made a made a executive decision that they were going to crash on Ezekiel Elliott in the zone read. And that meant that your quarterback, JT Barrett, has to keep the ball. And so if you can get into the backfield quickly and you can attack one aspect of the mesh, you know, you attack the mesh or you attack one part of the read, now you can force that read-based offense to become predictable. The same concept applies today with the RPO. If you have the ability to get into the backfield, you can pressure the quarterback and speed up the read. And depending on how you attack, and especially if you've got a good defense, it can be a little bit less sound, like you can crash a linebacker. Well, if I can crash a linebacker and still get pressure, I can crash the linebacker, force a pass read, and then because I'm forcing the pass read, I can tell my pass rusher, hey, the pass is coming. And I know the RPO throws that Ohio State wants to make. And so I adjust my coverage or I shift my coverage in such a way to take away, you know, whatever RPO slant, RPO post or screen, however, however they're tending to do it. Um, and I'm now maybe I'm playing short a hand because my linebacker is blitzing or our linebackers are a little short underneath. But at least I'm playing a more predictable offense. And all of that really does hinge on the ability to get into the backfield to speed up the read. Uh, and the more you can do that, um, the more you can get it off his spot. And I'll say, you know, we were really critical of Stroud early in the year, took a lot of flack for it, but something we noted versus Minnesota and even Oregon, those teams were getting pressure in the backfield and Stroud early in the year. And I haven't been able to see if it will or will not change now, because frankly, he hasn't faced any pressure. Stroud is not the same quarterback when those reads are sped up. His feet in the pocket are not nearly as good. He gets bouncy or hops as people want to talk about it. And, you know, everything about what he's doing is off. The timing is off. The accuracy of the throws is significantly off. Um, his ability to roll the pocket is greatly curtailed. If you have good edge players because they, you know, they will run you down. You can't just roll around them. Uh, you end up rolling into pressure. And so, yeah, I mean, Hutchinson and the just a bevy of guys Michigan has presents a different challenge. And, you know, if you want to talk Stroud for Heisman, his ability to react to that challenge, positive or negatively, and I think he'll do well, but I want to, you know, I don't really try to project that stuff out so much. I just kind of want to see how it does turn out. His ability to handle that, I think, is a major point, at least in my mind, with whether or not you know, he's going to be a Heisman caliber quarterback and how much he is the guy driving this offense. And it's not him with protection, throwing to receivers that are consistently beating coverage. Uh, this is a very much a show me game for Stroud and the way the RPO offense is designed to run. You can you uh, kind of walk me through the model when you're talking about yardage, because the model predicted Ohio State to have a 
not insignificant advantage in terms of yardage in pretty much every category, but on the flip side, the percentages allowed were fairly mixed. I thought that was an an interesting thing, and maybe it's just because I don't, I'm not smart. Um, but the the model had Ohio State, like you said earlier, winning by seven, but had a decently significant advantage in terms of yardage. Did that just come down to Ohio State's inability? to maybe score in the red zone, even though they're moving the ball? Or were the gaps between Ohio State and Michigan in terms of yardage not as big as a layman like myself thought they were? Sure, and I'll break that down into two points. Uh, first, I'll start with the percentage of opponent averages allowed. And it's just an intermediate statistic we generate. I feel like it's a really basic statistic that probably ought to just exist on its own. We look at how you did versus the teams you played, how they did against everyone else and said, okay, if they're averaging five yards per carry, we look at only FBS competition, by the way. If you, only, if you average five yards per carry and you allow them four, you're allowing 80% of their average. It's a, it's a good way to get a what I think is a more meaningful base defensive statistic. And quick aside, I love base statistics that are easy to understand and that are clear in what they're calculating. And, and EPA, I want to give... A lot of credit. I was reading some stats generated by uh, Parker Fleming from uh, Stats of War. It's a TCU site. He uses EPA a ton, and it's really good, and it's a useful statistic to really understand, like, from a rating perspective, what a defense or offense is. But a lot of times I use more basic statistics because I don't think people necessarily know what a point, you know, four, six, eight EPA per pass rating is for the Ohio State defense or, or offense, I should say. And it's a better stat, but a lot of times I use these stats because I think people can understand you're allowing 80% of opponent averages running the ball. Um, Ohio State allows 80% of opponent rushing averages, 91% of opponent passing averages, which so better against the run than the pass. It's actually very average against the pass uh, as far as these stats go. And it's a good run defense. It's not necessarily great, but it's good bordering on great. Maybe we'll put it that way. Michigan is interestingly flipped. 91% of opponent rushing averages, 82% of opponent passing averages. This is rare. It's a lot easier to get the run defense number down than the pass defense number. You Even like this year, you've got some uh, defenses that are in the 50th range. Uh, Oklahoma State is actually at 56% of opponent rushing averages, maybe the most underrated unit, maybe nationally. That's an incredibly great number. Um and it's in there with, uh, I think, Georgia's at like 51%. So you can cut run Ds and run offense in half if you're great. But pass defense, man, the best defenses we ever see are like 69 70%. Past offense carries. That's why passing offense is really the thing that makes a high-level team a high-level team. It's the thing that makes you win the playoff. Why do I mention that? Because Michigan's – one, it's unusual to see a team better at pass defense than rush offense or defense because it's easier to get that rush number down. But – Michigan's strength is against the pass and Ohio state's numbers are a little like every high level offense dependent on that passing offense being high. It's just hard to get scores in North of 40 points. If you're not throwing the ball at a very, very high effective explosive clip. And so when Ohio state gets their passing uh, average in this game predicted to be about 8.2 yards per attempt, even at 5.3 yards per carry, that's a huge market difference in their explosiveness potential. And then Michigan is at like 7.4 yards per attempt, four yards per carry. Those are competently average numbers. And so competently average will get you like 25 to 30 points. Um, and Ohio State is better than that. And so it has them at 37. But that limiter on pass defense means basically Michigan getting theirs can hit 30. 
Ohio State won't quite get theirs. And so that gets them up like 37, 40 range and not breaking free. And yes, our model definitely takes into account <laughs> Uh, the way that teams score. Uh, it's a little bit self-learning in that every team sort of generates its own scoring model in our model. It's And it does it based off your strengths and weaknesses and matchups. Uh, so it's very comparative. But Ohio State, we don't, we don't have like a team rating, but like Ohio State offensively is not great at converting yards to points. And if they're not getting their like eight yard per play then they don't have nearly the same production. Like Michigan, you know, if you look at Ohio State's year, 6.85 yards per play, which is a really great number, very similar to this game, was what they had against Penn State. And that was a 33-point game. So if you want to know an analog, our model basically looked at their season and said, these stats look a lot like the Penn State game. And Ohio State, for all their yardage, struggled to get out of the 30s and scoring against Penn State. So it's skittish on how high the numbers are going to be. Whereas uh, Ohio State's, again, their pass defense, I said 91% of opponent averages. I'll say EPA. I'll note Ohio State is 55th in EPA pass defense. So there's, it's kind of the, the bad unit in, in Ohio State's like top yeah. 10, top 20 everywhere. And it's a absolute sore thumb, not all that far off even from Michigan State in passing defense. That number is low enough that a Michigan offense that is not phenomenal passing the ball is going to predicted to be operational. And if you're operational throwing it and you've got a complimentary run game, which they do have, you, you typically get high 20s, low 30s in scoring. And, and you see how this score ends up being developed on paper. Yeah. You, you talk about the matchup and like looking at some of the internal numbers for this season. I know last week the model had a fairly close game for Ohio State versus Michigan State. However, I know you picked it to not be fairly close. And obviously we realized that it was – even not closer than uh, even you thought it would be. But a lot of that had to do with some of the matchup issues that Michigan State had against Ohio State. Are there any matchup issues in the game this week, either for or against the Buckeyes, that you think could be exploited by either team to kind of either prove the model correct or to potentially prove the model incorrect? The biggest problem that Michigan has is their rush defense. Again, 91% of opponent averages, their 63rd in EPA per uh, carry is a weak point. Um, and then, you know, offensively, they're actually not as great as people might guess. They're 72nd in uh, EPA per rush. They're like a 40s to 70s offensive team. So for Ohio State, they need to win this by being a little bit more bully ball than maybe they're used to. Uh the ability that uh, to run the ball such that you can distort the Michigan defense is really the key. And Michigan State had success against Michigan because you know Lawrence Walker III was able to distort the Michigan defense. Uh, Michigan had a lot of trouble defending the run late in that game. It was a game Michigan was winning to the point of almost controlling until late and the defense got tired and you know, Walker kind of went off. Right. And that does weird things to a defense. When you have the ability to run the ball with power, you have to start bringing down linebackers and safeties. And Michigan state was just modern enough. I give Mel Tucker a lot of credit for it, especially given their personnel that they could exploit Michigan when they were distorting their defense and they were able to find ways to move the ball running and throwing at that point. Um, Ohio State's a lot more modern and a lot more explosive than Michigan State. 
so the question is, are they able to run the ball well enough offensively that Michigan has to distort? Because you can't really just give up death by a thousand cuts. Now, I don't think Michigan is going to be willing to distort their defense because they know the passing game is the real threat here. Uh, but the more you do that, the more you don't let them drop guys into coverage, the more you're going to be able to succeed. Penn State, you know, was able to, to, to handle the run, was really the key for them, without distorting their defense. Even if they gave up runs, they were willing to do that um, until, you know, so long as the defense didn't distort. And again, that's what our numbers in the model are saying, right, is that their Ohio State is not quite effective enough, really, to cause that distortion and that's why you have this yardage yardage advantage. It doesn't quite turn into a huge point differential. Um, I will say on the defensive side of the ball, Michigan really is dependent upon having a certain level of success. And these numbers in the model, four yard per carry, 7.4 yards per attempt, are right on the border of being competent or effective. I usually peg it at four yards per carry, seven and a half yards per attempt. If Ohio State can play just a notch above that, and if the defensive line can be inspired enough to stop the run, you know, the, the offense, the defense is um, at that point being able to play straight up and defend the passing game. Michigan is on a knife's edge where their scoring could fall off by, and, and it's just like one to two touchdowns, right? You know, if they, if they stall off a couple times here where they can't sustain drives or they, you know, a third and one, they don't get a conversion that 30 number maybe drops to 20 to 23 pretty easily. Uh, and if that happens and Ohio State is able to distort Michigan's defense and they're able to put up points, the moment, just like you know what happened with Michigan State, the moment that Michigan is out of their element and having to play from behind, Ohio State starts to have a major advantage in this game because they do have an advantage running the ball. And then once you have the advantage running the ball and Michigan is in desperation, we can't ever let you score mode, that it's just like fourth down stops, right? How many times do you see someone on a fourth and two give up a touchdown because you're so, when you crash that hard, yeah. you don't have the ability to defend over the top. And so that that's the thing that I think where Ohio State has really all the advantages in terms of pressure where there's all these things Michigan has to do right to stay in this game. And they can, and they're kind of expected to be able to, but there's a dam that could break. And if it breaks, Ohio state has a massive advantage. And even if Michigan gets a lead, Ohio state is far better built to be able to come back in this game with their passing game than Michigan who needs to stay balanced in order for this to stay competitive. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up with this. You know, you kind of talk about what could happen and what could go Ohio State's way to to make this bigger than what the model and Vegas expects. But for those of us that like appreciate analytics but aren't all that good with numbers and aren't an X's and O's guy, can you give us a stat or a trend to watch for on Saturday that if X is happening, that's really good for Ohio State? And then conversely, if why is happening that's really bad for ohio state the easy one so i'll give you two but the easy one is is the run game and that's look it's not always true i um, mean ohio state is not typically needed to run the ball well um but if ohio state is averaging over four and a half yards per carry or if michigan is averaging over four and a half yards per carry the opposing team is going to be in some amount of trouble to give up over 30 points right you can just kind of watch if either team has the ability to run between the tackles to get three yards or more, 
on any sort of consistent basis, I think that's, that's the biggest key, but on, you know, maybe the more nuanced one, it gets back to what I said earlier. If it's not just whether Michigan gets pressure, the thing to watch is the timing and rhythm of Stroud's throws. If Michigan is able to affect Stroud where he is not throwing on rhythm, where he's, you know, one, two, three set throw, Ohio State's offense changes dramatically. And that was something Nebraska was able to do. They would contain the run. They were able to kind of keep Stroud in the pocket. And he didn't throw on rhythm because once he's, once his footwork starts to go, he's a very different passer, you know, on rhythm with proper footwork, very, very accurate. Um, and he's got all the, you know, athletic, tangible things that you want out of a quarterback and he understands the scheme very well. But once his rhythm's off, he starts to miss easier makeable throws. That affects confidence and it narrows the, you know, changes the windows he's able to throw into. And everything Ohio State does starts to change a little bit. And the offense, you know, once you can't hit those windows and you can't make those throws with timing, a lot of opportunities start getting missed. A lot of drives start ending because those big shots that you take as Ohio State, those shots are a down and they tend, you know, a lot, they've been touchdowns against Michigan state, but they, if they turn into incompletions against Michigan, now all of a sudden that, you know, second and seven that became a touchdown becomes third and seven. And now you have a difficult conversion. And that's just a, you know, can be like a 20 point swing even in terms of scoring potential. And it really, it does hinge on just how well Stroud is able to handle it and how much pressure Michigan is able to generate. Well, I appreciate this so much. I love the work that you guys do over on the YouTube page. And uh, I really enjoy the back and forth that you have with Ohio State fans because uh, I sometimes want to get into it with them as well and often do and take the brunt of it uh, kind of like you guys do. So I really appreciate everything you guys do and giving a, a an explainer for all of the finer points of the analytics in college football. It's a, a much needed breath of fresh air and a lot of the fan conversations so thank you so much for talking to us every year we i can't tell you how much uh, it means to us and uh, i'm hoping that daniel's score prediction is much more accurate than yours but uh, either way i will wish you a uh, happy rivalry week happy thanksgiving and i hope you enjoy the rest of the college football season i appreciate it it's always a pleasure to be on and uh wish you guys all the best this holiday Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Also, thank you, of course, to Josh from College Football Nerds. I will have the link to their game preview video and all of the other places that you can follow them in the show notes and in the article version at landgrantholyland.com. If you are finding this episode on the aforementioned website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are cranking out episodes every single day throughout the football season, and they all have unique perspectives and voices that you won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. I will be mashing buttons during the game this afternoon, so come over and say hi. You can also follow me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon, and as always, but especially this week, go Bucks.